0: I know we have some people pleasers in our audience, and I think today's episode will be something relatable. And it's interesting because one thing I want to start doing on the show, Jason, I haven't talked to you about this offline, so I might as well talk to you about it right on the show, is I was reflecting yesterday on conscious languaging. I think the word should was coming up for me, and we did that whole episode about the word should. And I've realized that there are so many words that are overused, underused, improperly used, cliche, and every time they come up, I will find myself stepping back and thinking about them. So I thought it'd be really neat to do a series around conscious languaging. This might be part of that series. Probably not. That wasn't my intention with this episode but I would like to do that, Jason. So for the listener, stay tuned because I have a feeling we are going to make that happen. Also for the listener, if you haven't checked out our YouTube channel yet, we are recording the video version of this. So hello to our YouTube friends and to the audio listeners. If you want to see our faces, sometimes you can go to our YouTube channel and see the visuals and maybe we can start doing some more visual things, Jason. I don't know. One thing I want to give a shout out to before we begin, and I wish I had the visual, but it's in another room and I don't feel like getting it right now, is a tea that I tried right before we started recording. I had just returned from my P.O. box and this company called Royal Leaf sent me their tea. I just wanted to take one sip of it and I could not believe how good it is. (laughs) It's a bottled tea. Very similar also, speaking of bottled teas... Actually, it's not similar, but they're both teas. The hibiscus tea that we have both tried recently, Jason, I think I'd love to start doing shout outs again to brands that we like. And those were two teas that really wowed me. They feel very special. We'll link to them in the show notes. So whether you're watching on YouTube or listening to the audio version of it, there is a link to our website wellevator.com which is spelled w-e-l-l-e-v-a-t-r.com you'll find the full transcript of every episode and you'll find every single link resource that we mention and it's all in one place for you including freebies and the links to our social media we wellevator.com is the hub and there's a podcast section for you for each episode And uh, we'll link to both of those teas, which are really lovely. And I probably won't be sharing the Royal Leaf Tea with you, Jason, because they sent me two flavors and I put my lips to the bottle. So it's not very COVID friendly. Unlike the old days, remember that when you and I used to pass drinks back and forth between each other? Uh, No more.
1: The old days. (laughs) That's so funny you say the old days when we used to share food. Remember that, humans, when we used to share food together? I'm looking forward to returning to that, personally.
0: Listen, some people still share food during COVID. This is not to say that everyone treats their COVID relationship differently. But one thing that's changed, I know, for me and Jason is that we don't share food the way we used to. (laughs) Um, So... Anyways, I will not be sharing this tea with you, Jason, because I I already contaminated it with my saliva, but it is remarkable, and I I bet you that you could get some samples of it, too, to try. Anyways, back to the people-pleasing. I started listening to a book recently that I've mentioned in some episodes, but uh, I want to talk about as I go through it because it's really bringing up a lot of different thoughts for me. It's called Adult Children of Emotionally Immature Parents. It's such a great book. It really is. And it resonated with me. I think I saw someone on TikTok talking about it, which is where I get a lot of recommendations these days. If you didn't know this about me already, it's I just love TikTok. I also, speaking of which, another tangent is I just got a package from TikTok. So I get, I finally have some official TikTok swag as being part of a TikTok program, which you know, it's kind of fun, but I have not opened it yet. That's a little side note. This just shows that my love for TikTok has been a little bit reciprocated. So I found this book and it had a long wait in the free book borrowing program I use called Libby. So I haven't received the written Kindle version of it, but I did receive the audiobook version of it. And I just want to go through this book practically line by line because it's been so enlightening for me. And it's really helping me get some perspective on people-pleasing. Since I don't have the written copy and I don't have highlights to share, I pulled up the quotes from Goodreads, which we can also link to in our show notes for anyone who wants to just kind of peruse through some quotes And it's like, it brings up a lot of intense things for me, right? So one of the first popular quotes on Goodreads is, remember, your goodness as a person isn't based on how much you give in relationships, and it isn't selfish to set limits on people who keep taking. And I think that's something that's really helpful for each of us to reflect on. Because something that's been coming up for me a lot today and the past few days is that people-pleasing desire to try to get somebody's approval based on my actions, right? And reflecting on setting more boundaries, I think because I've internalized this idea that if I don't please other people, then I'm not good, if I don't do things the way people want me to do them, then something's wrong with me. I'm not good. I'm a bad person. I'm hurting their feelings. And so I've approached life from this standpoint of constantly trying to adjust myself based on what I perceive other people wanting or needing from me. And it's also come across a lot in my life as controlling Some people see those actions or my behavior and think that I'm controlling, and that was something I was thinking about yesterday. It's like if I don't get the outcome I want, I kind of get paranoid, and I try to fix it. Somebody today referred to me as a fixer, which I didn't take offense to, but it's something I've been reflecting on, is how when there's a problem, I immediately want to find a solution. And I found a lot of pride in that because... In my perception solutions are great. Who wants to have a problem when you can fix it, you know? But the challenge of ha- of being a fixer is that I'm constantly on edge trying to find balance and trying to please people and trying to make things right and good. And it's left me with a lot of stress, a lot of burnout. A lot of juggling in life, and it hasn't left me with a lot of time for myself. As a people pleaser, I have a tendency to spend a huge part of my day wondering if I'm pleasing others. Thus, the term people pleaser, wondering if my clients are happy with me. Why? Because if they're unhappy with me, the consequence would be that they might not want to work with me, and I might not have the money I need to get by. That's one of the downsides of working for myself. But this was also challenging when I had a full-time job with one boss. It's like always worrying. And I've worked for bosses that were similar to my parents. So that certainly didn't help. (laughs) It re-triggers a lot of the trauma and, and the relationships that might not be super healthy. And... I've had to set a lot of boundaries with clients and that's really tough as a people pleaser because I'm often afraid by setting those boundaries that somebody won't like me that they won't like the way that I do things and so they won't want to work with me or they'll fire me or, or they'll find someone else. I've been like that in so many relationships like let me please my partner so that they don't leave me for someone else. And a lot of that comes from childhood, which is something I'm realizing through reading this book and other books. I mean, I've read so many books like this. This is just my current one for, for perspective. But I think our culture also encourages a lot of this. And I think that it's like is it the chicken or the egg type of things in this book reflecting on well, how does a parent become emotionally immature? it's been passed down through generations and or is the culture supporting that i think our culture certainly supports and rewards perfectionists if we get things right it benefits other people people can take advantage of us too by having consequences by considering things as right or wrong good or bad we've seen this through religion you know and i think that's one of the reasons that i don't align with a lot of religion because sometimes those rules and restrictions feel limiting and they're judging me. And then I become afraid constantly of doing things wrong. That has been a huge theme in my life is the fear of doing things wrong because I don't want to be punished. I don't want to pay the consequences. So much of that is part of religion I guess it depends on which religion, so I shouldn't make it a blanket statement, but Christianity uh, in, in my experience. Uh, certainly in my time that I spent going to church, that was incredibly uncomfortable for me is, is hearing the framework around this is the way you do things. And if you do things differently, you're sinning or you're not good. I mean, that was stressful for me because it was constantly thinking about am i sinning am i doing something wrong am i how's my relationship with god but yet at the same time people would tell you but god loves you and he accepts you and it was so confusing cuz if god is loving and accepting then can you actually do anything wrong is there really such thing as a sin you know and it, anyways i'm not going to get into that because i'm sure somebody who studies the bible has a much better perspective and response to this and I've also learned that not every Christian or Catholic or a person that has a relationship with God is is the same. So I'm not trying to make a blanket statement whatsoever. But you and I have talked about, Jason, how it's tough to work for somebody else for these reasons, too. It's tough to work in a corporate job where you feel boxed into the way things are done. And I have a similarity as you, Jason, you being the more rebellious of the two of us, I also have that rebellious spirit in times too because I feel so drained when I don't feel like I have the ability to express myself and do what feels good to me. So that's where I wanted to explore in this episode is like I'm almost like – I don't know if this is accurate, so I'm pausing to reflect on this, but I – I'm noticing I'm almost overcompensating sometimes and getting really frustrated when I feel like someone's trying to push me to do something. And I know you're very similar, Jason. Like, you don't like to feel controlled or pushed or regularly. You don't, you really resist that. I resist that too sometimes because. In my head, I'm thinking, I'm tired of being told what to do. I'm tired of being judged for being right or wrong. I'm tired of being a people pleaser. It's exhausting. And it's challenging, though, when you're trying to overcome that, you're also trying to refigure out your sense of self. So that's kind of the stage that I'm in right now. It's like, well, who am I if I'm not a people pleaser? Who am I if I allow myself to do what I feel is right for me versus what I feel somebody else thinks is right for me? How do I relate to people now if I'm not always trying to please them? How do I relate to people when I'm either putting myself first or putting us equally is is really more of my desire, but I don't even know if that's a people-pleasing mentality. What I truly don't know is, does it actually work best in your life when you put yourself first and somebody secondary? Or does life work optimally when you're both equal? But all I know right now is I'm tired of being secondary.
1: I think that there's the risk in putting yourself first of pissing people off. And I think that ultimately, that is, I think, the seed, Whitney, of why people don't put themselves first is because they're afraid. And by all means, when you I believe when you start to assert yourself more and you start to prioritize your well-being, your needs, your desires over the tendency to people please, which I think people pleasing and overgiving are very much tied. They're not necessarily they're not synonymous People-pleasing and overgiving are not synonymous, but I often feel that overgiving and overextending one's energy is a huge part of people-pleasing, huge part of it. And so I think you know, my people-pleasing, to reflect back to what you're saying, Whitney, my examination of my own people-pleasing was a protective mechanism. And if you're a longtime listener, you've heard me talk about my abandonment issues and my fear of abandonment through my father leaving when I was very young. And if Jason is the good dancing monkey and Jason's the good little boy and Jason's pleasing mommy and Jason's pleasing grandma and grandpa and Jason's pleasing his teachers, he'll be safe. But at a certain point, the shell starts to crack open in my adulthood. And I'm like, wait, I'm actually not living my fullest. And I, again, this word authentic, true self, because I've spent so much of my life protecting myself against abandonment and being left behind that I've created a pseudo persona in certain ways. I've adjusted my true self and created a different persona to make sure that I'm safe. And this takes a lot of practice in undoing Whitney, right? Because it goes back to, if you assert yourself, Whitney and a person in your life is used to you saying yes all the time. Yes, 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 yes. Once you start to say no, or not right now. We've talked about that in previous episodes, that sometimes not right now is a more accurate statement than no. Those are two very different things. Sometimes no is like, I do not want to do this. I'm not going to do it. Sometimes it's, you know, I actually, I am interested in helping you and supporting you, but at this moment, I don't have the bandwidth or the energy to do it. Could we revisit this a week later, a month later, whatever it is. Those are very different approaches. And I think mastering communication is a huge part of what we're talking about in adjusting our people-pleasing default you know, ways of being here. I think, though, it's like, okay, I'm going to get uncomfortable for a second, right? In setting boundaries with people in my life, I have noticed that it takes a lot of repetition at times to get people to become used to the fact that you're not going to say yes to things all the time, okay? I've chosen to do this in my romantic relationships. For example, when say my girlfriend wants to come over after work and I'm spent and I know I'm spent, I'm depleted from work, from podcasting, from taking care of seven animals at the house, from working on my music, whatever it is, right? And I know I want to see her, but I know I'm not energetically available for that. So it could be, oh, you know, as an example, like, well, I really want to see you and da-da-da. It's like, yeah, I want to see you too. It's not for lack of wanting to see you. It's that I don't have the energetic bandwidth in my being to be able to have a meaningful interaction with you, right? Explain, you know, and and it's not that you have to, that's the other thing is some people really want an explanation. I don't believe you owe anyone an explanation. I just believe that, you know, again, no or not right now. If you feel you have the bandwidth to give an explanation, great. But another challenging aspect is I feel like some people are like, well, but you have to tell me why, like I need an explanation. It's like, I don't owe you an explanation. I don't. I understand that you want an explanation, but I don't owe you one. That's my kind of personal wheelhouse with this. The other thing too, Whitney, is like, you know, in our relationship as friends and business partners, one of the most challenging things for me over the years together has been, you know, and you you know this because we've talked about it in years past, when I had set a boundary or a no or a not right now with you that you would push and, push and push and push and push and push and you wouldn't accept it. And we've had fights. We've had fights where I'm like, Whitney, you have to accept my no. Like, and if you don't, like, I'm going to pull myself out of the situation. Like you and I have had that that friction before. And I think it's great that you're bringing this up because it's not that I want to dig up things from the past, but there are times when I still feel old triggers come up with you around like, I can't do that. Not right now. Like, I'm not going to do this right now. And sometimes you and I have different frameworks on priority in our lives, right? We have different frameworks on our business and how we prioritize things. And that still comes up. Sometimes you're like, I really want you to get this thing done. And I'm like, I'm going to get it done, but I'm not going to get it done right now. You know, and for me, I think the communication issues, it really comes down, I think, whether it's you and I, whether it's romantic relationships, whether, whether it's anything in life, I think it comes down to like having loving, open communication about things. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, you know, I feel like if we come from situations where we had challenging things growing up with our parents, we tend to bring those into our adult relationships, right? And, you know, it just requires a lot of communication and a lot of really okay, so how do you want to steer this conversation, Whitney?
0: Part of what's what's challenging and something else I'm examining is that I think either as a people pleasing mechanism. Or a coping mechanism, and I'm not sure in this moment what the right term is for this. But I've also noticed I have a tendency, perhaps related to people pleasing, perhaps not. I have a tendency to constantly be trying to fix myself, to change, and there's only so much feedback I can receive. And sometimes somebody, their intention. Is not to shame me, but when I am already, hmm. It's like, you know, I think in general, we have a certain capacity each day or each period of time, whatever length it is. I've noticed I have decision fatigue. Like this the last few days, especially yesterday, I I hit a wall. I'm like, I cannot make any more decisions. Like, I don't have that ability anymore. I am too drained. Every time a decision comes up for me, I, my brain like cannot function. It can't, it just can't make the decision. I think that's a major thing is, is, and I, we've definitely touched upon this before. It it was, I believe around the subject of willpower. And similarly, there's only so much feedback I can receive in a day for myself because as a fixer, Every time someone gives me feedback, I want to change. So I have to set a boundary with receiving feedback. And I think this is an important thing for each of us to know is we should always ask somebody before we give them feedback if it's the right time, because we don't know the context. We don't know what fatigue they're facing. So what you don't know, Jason, is I got feedback from another friend in my life right before this conversation. So I am already overloaded. My brain's still processing the feedback I got from somebody else. So to stack a lot of feedback up, I can't respond to everybody all at the same time. Many of us know what that feels like. It's like standing in a room and having a bunch of people try to get your attention. You can try, but you are best when you're focused. It's like multitasking, right? You're best when you're focused on one thing, on one person, on one thing at a time. I think our society has encouraged us, especially as women, we are encouraged to multitask. We are told that multitasking exists. We're expected in a lot of ways to juggle everything and balance it and do it with ease and grace. But that is exhausting. No wonder parents are so exhausted. So, for you, for the listener and for you, Jason, like I'm dealing with a ton of, of things in my head right now. I don't have the capacity to take any, anything further. And that's where boundaries come into play. And this is why each of us have to be very sensitive and mindful because we don't know what somebody else has been dealing with. Is part of a communication I had with a friend earlier, I found myself getting a little defensive because I'm feeling really sensitive right now. It's, you know, reading a book like Adult Children of Emotionally Immature Parents, it brings up a lot. When you start to examine your parents and your childhood and try to understand who you are and how you became that way and, and how do you want to operate differently, it's a sensitive, vulnerable time. It's a wound that you're reopening. And you want to perhaps reopen it in order to heal it, in order to remove the scar, perhaps, or to reduce the scar. And I think this is one of the big reasons that people avoid looking at their traumas is because they can't handle dealing with their traumas with daily life. You know what I mean? Like when I, reflecting on this book, and I I try not to talk about my parents too intimately because I don't have their permission, not that I necessarily need their permission, but I am protective of my parents. I love my parents. I respect them. I am open, though, that there are things that have happened in my childhood that are not, I feel, beneficial to how I developed as a human being. But this book actually has also given me perspective on what my parents might have been going through. And the one of the big points in the book thus far, I'm only about 20 or 25% into it, according to my audiobooks is that their immaturity is based on their their experiences too. And who knows what trauma they've handled. A lot of them never learned how to deal with trauma. We are privileged right now in 2021 that trauma is acceptable, that vulnerability is acceptable, that working on yourself is a huge thing in our lives that many of us are doing. Therapy is something we're generally less embarrassed to talk about. But Ten plus years ago, 20 years ago, I don't think most people would openly talk about going to a therapist. Like that felt shameful to people to work on themselves because they were admitting they were flawed. So I think that's that's a huge issue that older generations have is like they were trying to be really, really strong. And with that perspective, being strong often doesn't leave you room, obviously, to be weak. And weakness is often what comes up when you're feeling sensitive? When you're feeling vulnerable? When you're opening up old old wounds? Because I don't think our brains can fully process trauma and hardship and continue to be strong at the same time. It's like once something's got to give, and when you try to do both, it's like I mentioned an episode we recorded recently the the Oprah and Meghan Markle and Prince Harry special and one of the parts that most resonated with me was when Meghan Markle talked about how she was suicidal, but had to show up or chose to show up at an event to put on a happy face. But as soon as as she found like no one was looking at her, she was crying. She was falling apart. She was trying so hard to be strong. She was trying so hard to be camera ready, so hard to to look like she had everything together. But simultaneously she's falling apart when you're trying to be strong all the time i think that does you a disservice when you're when you're trying to heal from something just like if you break a leg it doesn't help you to try to stand on it all the time like you're you're recovering from your your shoulder injury jason you know like this is not the time for you to be working out and building your strength this is the time for you to recover So I think we also need to set boundaries to allow ourselves to recover because doing work on ourselves is really, really draining. It's really a sensitive process and we need to protect ourselves so that we can move through it in effective ways, not move through it and brush over it. Like, oh, I'm fine. And I think that's another thing that we have been trained to do is to not cry. You know, as, as as a man, like so many men have been ashamed of crying. They have been ashamed of showing their feelings. Like that's a horrible thing. I, I, it's horrifying, truly, that men have been raised that way because men should be allowed to express themselves. Men should be able to deal with their traumas. Men should be able to be acknowledged for being complex human beings, just like women. And the fact that that has been brushed over so much and passed on from generation to generation, like strong men don't cry or whatever the terms are, it's like, no, that's so so far from the truth. And I think in general, we need to stand up for ourselves when when we – it's hard to even find the right words, but I think it's okay to – Feel weak, it's okay to feel sensitive, it's okay to feel vulnerable. And it's it we don't have to be strong all the time, I suppose is my point.
1: It's hard to find the balance. It's hard to find the room, as you said, Whitney, to heal when there's so much pressure on you in life. You know, because if we're if we're working on healing our psychological trauma or a physical injury or both at the same time. It's hard because I, I feel like there's, there's an instinct in me to want to cocoon myself and cut off from the pressure of my responsibilities and cut off from the pressure of work and cut off from the pressure of, of everything in life, right? But, and it's not that we couldn't make that choice, but it also feels like there's a maintenance that has to happen in life to a degree, right? We have to pay the rent or the mortgage. We not have to. Everything's a choice. We could say, fuck it, and give up the house, and go into default, and wreck our credit. There's really nothing in life that's a have to. You know, if I, if I go back to like my father as an example, because we're talking about trauma, he didn't have to stick around and be a dad, and he didn't. He was like, fuck this. I don't really want this. Bye right? There's nothing in the law of life that says you have, there's have to is almost in the same echelon as should, because that's how one of the things we kicked off this episode. It's almost in that same echelon. Well, you have to, you have to pay your mortgage and you have to pay your bills and you have to take care of your kids and you have to, you don't have to do shit. You really don't. People leave relationships, leave families, let houses go into foreclosure. People do it every single day in this world. So there's not really a have to, but I, I, I think if you're a human being who acknowledges you have deep trauma and acknowledges you have deep physical, psychological, soul healing to do, whatever it is, and you want to maintain, I suppose, some semblance of balance or normalcy in your life, you don't want to go and you don't want to you know, live on the street, you don't want to default on your mortgage, you don't want to not take care of your kids and your animals, et cetera. It's fucking hard to do this, Whitney, to your point. There are days I don't want to do shit because I'm so exhausted. There are a lot of days, Whitney, like legit. And I don't think like I, I communicate to the extent of you. And I'm not saying this shit to get fucking pity from anyone. I give a shit about that. It's real. It's like there are days from doing physical therapy for four months on my shoulder and my clavicle And working with my psychotherapist and working through my mental trauma, working through a body that's learning how to function again. There are days I'm so fucking tired. I don't want to do anything. I don't want to show. And it's it's not that, right? There are days I don't want to show up for the podcast. There are days I don't want to do the work. There are days I don't want to see my girlfriend. There are days I don't want to see any human beings. I just want to lay in a ball and do nothing. And I feel guilty for it sometimes. There's a mechanism where I'm like, well, yeah, but you have these responsibilities and you, you know, you know, people are counting on you and blah, blah, blah. But legitimately, Whitney, there are days I'm so sad and I'm so exhausted. I don't want to do anything. And the fear is if I don't, if I, you know, it goes back to people pleasing in a way, the original subject. Because if like, if I'm like, you know what, you need a week off, Jason. Well, yeah, but then the mountain of things that I need to do that I've agreed to do when I get back from that week are going to be so daunting and so stressful. I can't allow myself to take a week off. And this is the challenge, isn't it? Right? Whether you and I running a business that we do, people working in a corporate setting, people with families, people with animals, people that are counting on them. I don't know. There are sometimes I'm like, am I ever going to feel like really better? Or is it just, you do a little bit of healing, you do a little bit of psychotherapy, you do a little, I don't know. I don't know that I even have an accurate response to this, but there are days like I'm just so, not just physically tired Whitney, but like, I don't even know how to describe this. It's almost like in the center of my being, it's like a soul exhaustion. And I don't really know what to do about it. I've talked to my therapist about this subject and it's like, I don't know what to do. Do I go away again for a week and know that the pressure of coming home, I'm going to be faced with all this stuff that I've put off? Is it, you know, do I need to simplify my life and go live in the woods somewhere and get, I don't, I don't know. Like I wrestle with this every single day, exactly what you're talking about. And I don't know what the answer is. I don't know how to balance the pressures and the responsibilities of modern life with healing. And to your point, maybe it's because the awareness and the access wasn't there. And maybe it's because our parents and the previous generations felt so overwhelmed that they were like, I'm not going to do that. I don't have the bandwidth for that, but it's tough. This is not fucking easy. And anybody who's working on themselves, right? Like really, really doing deep work. Props to you. And you have our respect because as we're doing work on ourselves and to your point, Whitney, yeah, it's like there's also, you know, the additional layer of like you said as a man in society, there's this conditioning of we're not supposed to show vulnerability. We're not supposed to show fear. We're not supposed to cry. I want to cry every day. I want to cry every single day because I'm in pain. I'm in emotional pain. I'm in physical pain every day. It's showing up for life when I'm in physical pain every day, you know? And it's also, though, like the, the sympathy and the compassion I have for people who are in pain every day of their lives, and they're going to be in pain every day of their lives for the rest of their lives. You know what I mean? I don't know that I have a point. I feel like I'm just fucking ranting right now, but I feel like we're just getting really, I don't know. This is, I don't know that I have an answer. I don't know. I don't know how to effectively heal in the midst of the insanity of modern life. I don't know how to do it
0: maybe nobody knows how to do it. I think if anything, we're learning how not to do it. It's going to be different for each of us. Something that came up in a conversation that I had with my friend today is that her perspective is very different from mine. And I found myself wanting to change my perspective to match hers. That's the people pleaser. Or fuse it together. that's that's something I think I think that's part of like my desire to control and find balance. It's like, hey, let's make both people happy. Let's meet in the middle. I love that perspective. but sometimes people don't want to meet you in the middle. They just want you to come to their perspective. And it's so tricky, it's so uncomfortable too, Jason, because being around other people pleasers is tough. like it it all of this we're all just like it's so messy, really but that's okay. And this is what I'm learning as my part of my process is that, A, it's okay to disagree. That's a big thing. It's okay if you don't agree with somebody. It's okay if you want different things. It's okay if it doesn't align. When even just saying that out loud gives me relief. I don't know about you, Jason, but it's like, just, this is actually, this came up for me In the last few days, just the term, it's okay, is one of the most relieving statements for me. Like, I'm I'm really pausing to let that sink in because it feels good to say it. Does it feel good to you to hear it, Jason? Or can you relate to that before I continue sharing?
1: Yeah, because I think in a lot of ways... When we disagree or we don't see eye to eye with a person, whether that's friends, business partners, lovers, family members, oftentimes people will subtly or not so subtly try and make it you to feel like it's not okay that you disagree and it's not okay that you are in a different perspective of life. So by you saying that, it's a good reinforcement of I don't have to capitulate Or give up my sense of self and my truth to make it okay for you. Because sometimes people want to make it okay so they can feel better and they don't care about how you feel. They just want to feel okay.
0: That's certainly part of it. I also feel like the words it's okay is relieving because I think a lot of us want to be okay. We don't need to be good or great. Sometimes we just want to be fine. Sometimes we just want to be okay. Sometimes that's the best that we can do. And it's interesting because, gosh, I'm I'm blanking in this moment. I feel like it was on one of my Beyond Measure community calls. And for those that don't know about this, I I run a private community called Beyond Measure. And my big aim in there is to have a safe supportive space for people to really be the full expression of who they are without hopefully external judgment. It's, it's hard. I'm not saying there's no judgment because that's part of how we're conditioned, but it's been an amazing place. And I believe it was in there that we were talking about apologizing and how, so many of us have this tendency to over-apologize. That wasn't a podcast episode, was it, Jason? It's so funny because Beyond Measure and this podcast sometimes feel so similar that I get the two confused. That wasn't an episode we did about apologizing, right? (laughs) No. By your facial expression, you don't know what I'm talking about. Okay, got it. It must have been a Beyond Measure call. Or some other call I was doing. They all start to blur together sometimes, regardless of the origin. It was interesting because through this conversation I was having with this group about apologizing, we each found ourselves apologizing in in unexpected ways. No, I now I know what it is. This is why I got it confused. It wasn't Beyond Measure. It was Clubhouse. <laughs> and it was with Michelle Perry, who's an upcoming guest of ours. We she has an incredible new kind of theme in her life about being unapologetically unpolished and in that clubhouse room. So it wasn't Beyond Measure, but there were Beyond Measure members in the Clubhouse room. So that's where the overlap was. We found ourselves struggling not to apologize in just like an hour long session. How we are, many of us, are so used to apologizing. We're so used to trying to control people's reactions to us. And we're so used to trying to please them that we end up apologizing if we don't feel like we're pleasing them. And today, on a beyond measure call that i know for sure somebody was apologizing because they didn't feel like they were making sense they were just expressing themselves and i thought wow that's so relatable cuz i have felt felt so uncomfortable at times when i'm trying to express myself because i'm while i'm trying to get out my thoughts i'm also thinking How am I making this person feel? Is this person uncomfortable? Is this person bored? Does this, do do I make sense to them? Like I'm trying to manage it. I don't want to get into a fight. Like that's a big thing. I don't like getting, disagreements are uncomfortable for me because I associate them as, as having, you know, just being unpleasant. So I avoid conflict a lot. It's so uncomfortable for me. So, whenever I sense that someone's gonna disagree with me, I'll start to change what I'm saying to try to like show them that we're balanced, if that makes sense. Like, I don't want you to think that I disagree with you. Like, I respect you. I, you know, like, that's so important to me is like, I just, I don't wanna offend anybody. That's the whole thing. I don't wanna make anyone mad. I don't want it to offend them. So, like, I'm constantly assessing somebody's reaction to me. That's so exhausting. So part of this point that I think is coming out from both of us, Jason, is this desire to constantly stay balanced all the time. It truly is a balancing act in life, especially as a people pleaser. It's like, let me keep things even all the time. And thus, we don't get used to becoming a priority. I mean, I honestly, Jason, I don't think I felt like a priority that much in my life. Like, I don't think I prioritize myself very much. I think I get uncomfortable when I feel like a priority. This might be why I feel uncomfortable when I'm in the spotlight, because I want things to be balanced all the time. So anytime I'm in the spotlight, I start to feel uncomfortable and I'm like, let me pull somebody else in so I'm not alone. I don't want to be the only one up here. Maybe there's a part of me that feels like I don't deserve it or maybe I'm just uncomfortable because I'm not used to it. I'm used to being equal or secondary or less than secondary. So that's a fascinating thing. I'm having a lot of that realization here. And going back to this idea of just being okay, though, my point and bringing, bringing it back to that is sometimes we apologize This person today was saying how, I know this isn't good that I'm doing this. That was part of their statement. Like, I know it's not okay that I'm doing this. And actually, what they were describing that they were doing was not that big of a deal. And all I wanted to do was reassure them that it's actually okay. Because it was something silly. It was like some little thing that's so subjective, right? Is subjective the right word when it's up to interpretation, Jason? sometimes I get that confused with objective.
1: Yeah. Objective means that there's no interpretation. Subjective means it's from the individual's point of view. Thank you.
0: Yes. I believe a lot of the times things in life are very subjective. And so we end up apologizing so much. We're like, oh, I know it's it's not okay that I overslept. It's not okay that I slept until 10 a.m. Let's say that, for example. That's kind of like what this person was saying. All I wanted to do was tell them, actually, it's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But we get so used to things not being okay all the time. And that's why when I hear the words, it's okay, I feel relief. But part of that relief is that somebody else has given me permission to be okay. And that's part of, (laughs) I want to be the one saying it's okay, I don't want to have to rely on somebody else giving me permission to be okay. And that's a huge part of my journey too, Jason, because I'm constantly wondering, is this okay for somebody else? But I have to ask myself, is this okay for me? And then if it's okay with me, I can ask them if it's okay with them. But I think I've been in the, had it backwards. I ask other people if it's okay, if they say it's okay, then I determine if it feels okay for me. But if they say it's not okay, I probably be like, "You're right, it's not okay." But what if it's okay with me and not okay with them? Isn't that allowed? Like a legitimate question that I've been grappling with and this also came up in with another friend recently. And what's tricky going back to me overcompensating, that's what feels unsettling right now as I'm processing this. I'm worried sometimes that my boundaries are too firm. I'm worried that I, it's, I'm having trouble trusting my internal compass because I'm not used to trusting my internal compass. So for example, there's a situation with a friend right now and we we both want the same thing, but we both have preferences and we're both stating our preferences. I feel so uncomfortable every time I state my preference because I'm terrified that my preferences won't line up with my friend's preferences and that's going to lead to conflict. So I have a tendency to always ask my friends, like, what's your preference? And then once they tell me, maybe I'll, I'll tell them that I disagree. But a lot of the times I'll be like, oh, yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. But like, was that really what I was thinking? Is that really what I wanted? And it's I have to practice right now, and I am practicing in my life right now, stating what I want As you said, Jason, being assertive and staying there. And this might get uncomfortable because sometimes when you state what you want, somebody's going to disagree with you and then it doesn't work out. It's like relationships. Sometimes you say, This is what I want, and someone says, I don't want the same thing. And the relationship's over. It sucks because maybe you wanted the relationship, but. Do you really want a relationship where you're just pretending that you both want the same thing all the time? Probably not.
1: I think stating preferences gives an opportunity for really creative thinking into how people can get their needs and desires met, right? And I think one of the things that is challenging about human relationship and how it relates to hierarchy is that. When you think about leadership, right, Whitney, in this, in this context, people that are in, in positions of, of power and influence, let's just say, you know, parents are in a position of power and influence, teachers are in a position of power and influence, celebrities, CEOs, people who have lots of wealth, politicians. I mean, we could name a lot of roles that human beings have that in many ways, if we look at what they receive in our society, it's tremendously imbalanced in some ways. Right? It's it's almost like in human relationship, why do some people This is something I was thinking about the other day. Why do why is it that some people receive more than others? What is it about a human relationship where a person has the ability to convince other people of a vision, a thought process, a worldview? And then other people are like, Oh, yeah, I agree with that worldview too. I do, I I agree with that. But it's interesting, right? Because why is it then that some people reap more benefits in a relationship than others? And you think about someone who who's got a multinational corporation, this juggernaut huge business or someone who's a celebrity who gets lots of money and materialism and wealth and privilege thrown at them. It's like why why do we do that as human beings? This is this is maybe a tangential conversation, but I think it's it's difficult to navigate this, right? Because if we see a person who is on the receiving end of The buy-in of lots of other humans, because the only reason that someone becomes wealthy, Whitney, the only reason that someone has an advantage in a relationship is because the other people in that relationship look at that other person and go, yeah, they're worthy of that. Let's give them more money. Let's give them more attention. Let's give them more privilege. Sometimes, though, at the expense of what they want, like, let's really, you know, let's talk about that. That happens in romantic relationships. It happens in business contexts where it's almost like a spell that people have that they cast on other people of like, oh, this person's so smart and so talented and so worthy of wealth and privilege and love and success. And they just get more and more and more and more of it. But it's, it comes down to the dynamics of how we relate to one another. Because you see this a lot, right? And you talk about our parents' generation, our grandparents' generation. I remember growing up and I remember looking at the adult relationships in my life, And realizing that in most cases, the adult relationships I grew up mirroring were tremendously imbalanced in the sense that there was one person in the relationship who had the power, controlling the money, had the decision making abilities on the house, the cars, the food, et cetera. And most times it was the man in the relationship, right? Generations passed, the man held that power and wielded that in society. But it's like, why do we as humans capitulate to that degree? Why do we give so much power to other people and say, well, that's just the way it is. They deserve it. I don't deserve it. So let's give it to them. Think we do this all the time in human society. Just capitulate, 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 capitulate. And the real question is, why do we do that? Is it because we feel safer doing that? We want to be led by someone. Well, it's easier if they figure it out. Let them handle the taxes. Let them handle the money. Let them handle the big decisions. I don't want to think about that. But in many cases, wit I think we give away a lot of our power in relationship. We really, really do. And and like I said, you know, with, with your current situation of figuring this stuff out with your friend, it's not necessarily that there is a power struggle, but maybe there is subtly so. Maybe there are these subtle power dynamics in every relationship if we really get into it, whether those are sexual power dynamics, financial power dynamics, ego power dynamics, social status power dynamics. Without even consciously thinking about it, I feel like there are these little dynamic tensions that play out in every relationship in our life. And I think it comes down to the hard work, which you're doing, and and reason you brought this up, Whitney, of like, does this really work for me? Does giving this much power away through people pleasing, through capitulation, through being like, yeah, yeah, no, it's okay. You know, you you can do it. You can have that. You can have the money. You can have the thing. You make the decision. Maybe sometimes we don't want to make the decision. But I just observe that in human relationship, we give certain people tremendous power, wealth, influence, and privilege at the expense of, of making ourselves small, right? And we make ourselves small. Why? It feels safe. It feels good. Maybe, Maybe as kids, we were told to be quiet. Good children are quiet. Good children don't make a fuss. Good children don't ask too much. Good children don't resist. They just capitulate to what their parents tell them. Because in many ways, Whitney, when we speak up for ourselves, when we state a preference, when we go against the grain, when we see leaders or people in influential positions and say, I don't want to actually listen to you and I'm not going to do it the way you're telling me to. We pay a price for that. And some people don't want to pay that price because we can be shamed. We can be cast out. We can be a pariah like, ooh, he's a problem. He's the trouble child. Right. And think about that. Right. In, in school, this is a pattern that is hammered into us hammered into us i remember you know as an example to, to go off on a little tangent here i would wear certain band t-shirts in high school right and and i remember being asked by certain teachers not to wear those shirts because they found them offensive and i was like fuck you pretty much fuck you and i got sent to the principal's office whitney because i had no i had no capacity for some fuckhead to tell me what I could and could not wear. I had no, like, we're talking about rebelliousness now. For me, the rebelliousness comes out through rage. It does. And some people are like, oh, you know, rage is a bad thing. No, it's not. When people want to oppress you and tell you what you should be doing, like, their moral code should be your moral code. Like, you shouldn't wear that Nine Inch Nails t-shirt. You shouldn't wear that Pantera t-shirt. You shouldn't wear that Dead Eye Dick t-shirt because it's offensive. It's offensive to you, and I don't really care. And and I might sound, some listener will be like, wow, Jason's a real dick. No, I just have no tolerance in my life for people trying to oppress me and have me align with their sense of morality and convince me that my morality should should align with their morality. And we see this all, and in school and as children, it's pounded into us, be good little children and you'll get the carrots, be bad little children, you'll be punished. And I think that's one reason why humanity does not rise up against the powers that be because so many billions of us have been conditioned to be quiet and obedient and quiet and obedient people, human beings. Well, guess what they don't do. They don't challenge the status quo, do they? So we're, 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 we're conditioned to be, be quiet, obedient people and grow up to be quiet, obedient adults who don't question and don't rise up against the bullshit that we face in this world. Rant is over.
0: This is all important, and there's a lot to untangle here. A lot of what you're saying, actually, Jason, is is addressed in the book, Adult Children of Emotionally Immature Parents. In fact, I was going through some of the quotes because um, there is parts that talk about why we play small, and one that really addresses what I've been expressing today is that children who have these parental figures will do whatever is necessary to make some kind of connection with their parents. And they learn to put other people's needs first as the price of admission in a relationship. Instead of expecting others to provide support or show interest in them, they may take on the role of helping others convincing everyone that they have very few emotional needs of their own. It's like exactly what I was describing, you know? And I wonder how many people this resonates with. This is why it's so important to talk about. Emotionally mature people may tell you how they feel about what you did, but they don't pretend to know you better than you know yourself. Whereas I believe emotionally immature people, I think, the point is, I'm, again, I'm pulling these from Goodreads, not my notes, but I think that I have felt like other people know better than I know better. And I've had to start to stand up and say, wait a second, I know my needs better than anybody else. But my whole life, I think I've been conditioned to believe that somebody else knows better than I do. I think a lot of our society is that way, Jason, as part of your point. So self-trust becomes a huge issue. And I grew up also wondering, like, why don't I trust myself? Something must be wrong with me. I must be doing something wrong. No. The more I, I look into this stuff, it's like, of course I don't trust myself. I was trained not to trust myself. Trust is my word for 2021. It keeps coming up for me. Trust, trust, trust. And it's like, it's not easy to trust when you've been conditioned not to trust yourself, when you've been conditioned to trust somebody else. But deep down, you feel like I shouldn't fully trust them or I deserve to trust and have a say just as much as they do. How come what they say goes? And I think that questioning is incredibly important, just like you, Jason, realizing like just because someone says that my shirt is offending somebody doesn't mean that I have to take it off. Who says? I think that's why, you know, corporate jobs are really tough for many of us. It's like, I remember when I used to work for Apple, which by the way, as a whole, was an amazing company. Like, I have very little t- negative stories to share about my time at Apple. But, <laughs> but one that comes to mind was I, like, I got in trouble for wearing shorts that they perceived were too short. And I remember being like, this is such bullshit. Like, this is the style of shorts these days. Like, but they were so concerned with them being revealing. And I felt so much shame for wearing them to work. They actually almost sent me home, Jason. And I had to convince them that the time it would take me, they wanted me to go home, change my shorts and then come back to work. And I was like, the time that's going to take me, my shift is going to be over and I have important things to do. And I remember standing, I mean, because at that time, I it was towards the end of my Apple career. But at the time, I had like the highest role I ever did at Apple. And I was a teacher there. I instructed people at Apple and gave presentations And I was like, I have a presentation to give. You can't send me home. And it was kind of one of those moments where I'm like, what matters more, my shorts or the things I have to say? You hired me because of my intellect and my personality. You didn't hire me to box myself into what you think looks a certain way. Now, granted, I understand Cor- that's the way corporations work. Like, I'm not saying they were out of line. I'm just saying, where are the priorities here? And I, okay, I'm never going to wear shorts like that to work again. <laughs> it's not worth it. But like, when I put on those shorts, I wasn't thinking, wow, these are inappropriate. Just like when you put on that shirt, Jason, you weren't like, I'm going to go piss off my band teacher. Like, no, y- that's what you wanted to wear. You were trusting yourself to wear something that felt good. And it's all these little moments that add up to start to doubt ourselves because other people perceive things differently. And that's why, you know, some jobs we don't feel suitable for because I don't want a job where every, I have to examine every article of clothing and how I do my hair. And, you know, all in Apple, I'm sure is not even <laughs> the most critical. Like there's some jobs that, like, I, I was also seeing this on TikTok how, People sometimes wear wigs to their job because they're not allowed to show the colored hair. If they want to have pink hair, they're not allowed in a job. So people will... There's this woman actually on TikTok who who really wanted purple hair. She's a blonde woman. And she had it hidden. The hairdresser hid it in the back of her head. It was purple in the back. But when she put her hair down normally all you saw was blonde, but if she lifted it up into a ponytail, you could see her purple hair. And she did that so she could have the best of both worlds. So what, at work, she wore her hair down, but when she was out and about, she would do her hair in different styles and you could see the purple in it, which was very creative, I, I will say. But it's like it's that freedom that we crave. It's that boxed in that can be really challenging for us. Some people it's easy, but I wonder, why is it easy for you to be boxed in? That's a good question. You know, I've been watching that documentary Persona on HBO which talked about in an episode we recently recorded. And what's fascinating about that documentary is the part about the workplace and how a lot of jobs will evaluate you and if you if they see parts of your personality don't fit into their culture, they won't hire you, which makes logical sense, but it's also kind of a form of discrimination and going back to what you say Jason it's like that control like can we control you can we mold you into the person that we think you should be to be successful to make money to fit in and of course we want to people please like as human beings it's our it's our literal nature for survival to try to fit in but sometimes it's a little too extreme and i think that's the big point here today so I'm gonna continue reading adult children of emotionally immature parents to try to understand some of the ripple effects that's had on my life, either directly from my parents, but also indirectly from other people's parents, right? Because a whole other level of this, Jason, is you know, other people's parents or other people in general have big impacts on you. Your teachers, your friends' parents, like the the boss that you had, you know, I've I've had all sorts of interesting experiences with bosses. And it's totally a relief to be my own boss for that reason. But that also comes with a whole nother level of responsibility. So this is a complex thing and it shows up in many different facets of our lives. And for me, I'm working on setting boundaries. I'm working on developing more self-trust. I'm working on being assertive. I'm working on putting myself first. Which, even saying that out loud, I still feel unsure about putting myself first, so it's a lot to examine
1: well, I just I commend you with on doing this and examining yourself and getting really uncomfortable with some of these things that are coming up for you, because, like we say, this is not easy work, this is really hard work, and it's painful work, and it's uncomfortable work, and sometimes we can be shocked by what we find within ourselves, right, but I think that this is a quote from someone. Maybe you'll know. An unexamined life is not one worth living. And I don't remember who said that, but when I heard that quote years ago, it resonated with me. I don't want to live in the dark. You don't want to live in the dark. Hopefully you, dear listener, don't want to live in the dark in the sense of walking through life as an unconscious automaton, just doing what you're told and never questioning what's inside your own heart. Some people, and let's just be blunt, there are billions of people living that way on this planet. It's not that saying they're less than us or worse than us, but I don't want to live that way. And certainly, Whitney, you're committed to examining your life and looking at who you really are. And if that disappoints people, if it angers people, if it confuses people, if it confounds people, I think that ultimately, if we want to live and be in a process of of evolving and finding out who we are and what we are constantly changing into, there's going to be friction. There's going to be disappointment. There's going to be people who are like, who are you? I don't even know you anymore. And I think that if we are going to live an authentic life, a meaningful life, an examined life, a soulful life, these are the risks that ultimately we need to choose to take. And ultimately, I think that's probably one of the reasons why we do this podcast and continue to show up and have these conversations is to try and peel those layers back and get to the heart of who we are. So there's really no end point to this discussion. There's no end point to this journey. And we encourage you, dear listener to share your journey with us. Uh, as we've mentioned previously, we sometimes get these really deep, long, open, beautiful emails with people sharing their life experiences and the tough things they're going through. And so if you're in a process of trying to heal and, and, find out more of who you are as a being and you're managing family and business and career and whatever healing work you're doing. We want to hear from you because I think sharing stories with each other and sharing our life experiences is part of the healing process. So you can always shoot Whitney and I a direct email. It's hello at wellevator.com. And for any of the resources we mentioned, the book that Whitney's reading anything we talked about, you can go to our website, which is once again, wellevator.com. It's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. And in the podcast section of our website, you will find the transcript and the show notes for this episode and all of our previous 200 plus episodes. If you really want to binge out on this might get uncomfortable, which we encourage, but we want you to stay hydrated. So make sure you have a tasty beverage handy if you are going to binge our podcast. That being said, Whitney, I love you and appreciate you. This was a really, really good episode, a necessary episode. And I'm sure it's not the end of this conversation about people pleasing and setting boundaries and speaking our truth. So until the next one, we love you. We appreciate you. Thank you for your support and listenership. And if this episode resonated, please do share it with your friends and family and maybe even people you don't like. Maybe maybe they need it too. Maybe if you're in conflict with someone in your life, send them this episode. And maybe it'll spark a more loving conversation. Who knows? Until next time, thanks for getting Uncomfortable. And we'll see you with another episode soon.
0: Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to WellEvator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com.